So moving along, sort of putting down some verbal markers, love, breathing, upright, that uh, Willa and I are resonating, repeating these terms. It's like these are markers that you get to feel, what are they talking about? What's that? Just keep it in mind and gradually they begin to fill up with direct experience your own direct experience over time. They're not just um, words of the intellect. They are words we're using to signify particular experiences. And uh, depth is experiences may not be immediately apparent to all the significances, but um, you know, that's language for you. Yeah. And I want to, uh, this time, also begin to bring in some of the Pali language terms so that you've got a, a good uh, reference point to the bedrock of the Buddha's words that you can keep referring back to. Oh, that's what Sankara means. That's what mental formation means. Oh, that experience. Because some of these terms are quite slippery and elusive as to what actually has been signified. And yet, and yet, these are the words the Buddha used. Uh, my sense is if you really want to master this practice, you want to get as close as you can to what tools, verbal tools, the Buddha was using. You know, you can say you're doing a brain operation, you say, give me a stick. No, I don't mean a stick, I mean a scalpel. No, I don't mean a hacksaw, I mean a scalpel. <laughs> it's kind of like a stick and a bit like a hacksaw, but it's actually a scalpel. <laughs> What's a scalpel? <laughs> well, you're operating on a brain, you don't use a stick, you use a scalpel. It's kind of like a stick, you know. So sometimes these words have got a precision to them that we find ourselves struggling to meet with English language. So often we're coining up particular terms that may have more resonance to them and trying to see this gives you a, a way in to fill out some of these um, these bedrock terms. Yeah. And this is not, admittedly, this is a retreat. We're not going into an academic study. So, so these come in slowly. So we've had so far, we've had love, we've had breathing, we've had upright come in into our, our occasion, a retreat occasion. There's another one, wholeness. And I'll say this teaching, wholeness, it's the wholeness. It's the wholeness that does the work, not the person. It's the wholeness that does the work, that does the real liberating work, not the person. The person can begin to find a way to, to open into the wholeness. It's the wholeness that does the work. Let's kind of keep that one there somewhere. I'm going to try to fill out what that means. But if you've begun to get a sense of upright, both as not just a physical feature, but as a psychological, emotional, 
directness and integrity and restraint and balance, all these come into it. You know, physically we can feel it in the body when it's standing upright and it's completely balanced. You get an energy that's very poised, sensitive, not rigid, and you can rest within that balance. And you can detect when you're standing all the qualities that push you out of balance, worry, doubt, free urge, desire, fear, aversion, that kind of swim and sway, and practice is to stay the balance and let these energies wash over. And gradually what happens is you keep your awareness on the balance. All those distracting energies begin to melt into the, into the upright. The upright energy captures them. So we get more and more our confusion <laughs> transmutes into our into our sanity, right? Whereas often <laughs> in the confused states, our sanity starts to dissipate into confusion <laughs> as we get distracted, you know. So it can go either way. But here we're saying, I'm I'm taking it back, you know. I'm taking it back. I'm bringing it back home. You know, now that that upright balance, you see, means no bias. To you is to me. You know, pleasant, painful, I'm staying balanced. I'm staying in that upright state. No fighting. No pushing. No grabbing. No hoarding. Allowed. <laughs> the protocols. Balance. It's clean, it's free. You know, if you get the reference to that, and you try to sense how that how that stands or is exists within the middle of the body, within the centre of the heart, <coughs> within a relational experience to others as to myself, right? Balanced. Yeah. Then. Um, you set your view straight. You set your view straight. Your view is that not about this and that and how does that go to know your balance is to get that and then everything will begin to form in harmony around that. And other things will just some things will begin to dissolve and just float away, other things begin to transmute, you know. So your fear transmutes into a sense of awe and respect. Anger transmutes into strength. You know, passion transmutes into warmth. You know. Skillful aspects of these negative energies. Energy itself is not really negative or positive, it just flows through negative or positive channels. And the right view, which is this almost the beginning of the Buddhist path, there is the value of good and evil. There is that which is given, that which is offered, that which is sacrificed. There is this world and another world. There are those beings who through their own direct experience have realized this world and the other world in liberation. This is the law, this is the view of the depth, the reality of what we call depth experience. Yeah. Which means you could, so you want to put it in a very simple way, the experience of your heart. 
small of looking at it. And as I'm saying, you know, once you begin to disengage from sense contact and all that, move around that, you come into the depth, ooh, and that's going to be, goes into the heart, doesn't it? Not all that is good news. There's distress and agitation and nervousness and all kinds of unpleasant things there, unskillful things. Mm. But with the right view, you're saying, you're lining yourself to, well, how does this get ordered? Not through me policing it, but through create or establishing that upright, center upright view. This I focus on. I focus on this now. I focus on non-fighting now. I focus on non-stealing, non-acquisition, non-manipulation you know, now. I focus on non-suppression now. I focus on non-reaching out and dominating now. Yeah. I focus on staying awake now. I stay, focus on not escapism now. <laughs> you know, if I have done it in the past, yes. But now I'm not. And just keep focusing on that. And that builds up um, upright axis right in the center of your jitta, your heart, your awareness. Yeah. And you keep giving attention to that. The bad stuff begins to recede. It's got no food. It's not getting energized. It's not getting you activated. It loses energy. It begins to you know, lose power over you. You don't get pulled out into it. Right. That's right view. And we say, yeah, get it. So let's keep tuning into that. And whenever I, this view then connects to how we act on the surface. This is why it's wholeness, isn't it? That that inner axis. From there, you can survey the whole sphere of your karma, of your emotional, psychological actions, and the results of them. You can survey all that from that place. And if you stay centered within that, that stuff is not going to, you know, swing you out, catch you out. And then you begin, ah, now from this place, I'm learning, getting the education from the depth, you know, no fighting, no stealing, no lying, no manipulation, no distracting, no dishonesty, you know, no. Then, therefore, I'm going to carry that message into the sense world, right? I live. From right view, therefore, this wholeness is becoming even more whole. It's also pertinent to the sense realm, you know. And so, it's through that 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 balance is operating all levels on relational level, on relationship to the environment, a relationship with other people, relationship to the body. You know, not escaping through cosmetics. You know, bodies like this. You know. <laughs> yeah. No distraction, it's like this. Uh, you know, not pretending it's something other than it is. Not putting out as a, you know, some kind of advertising slogan. Hey, look, I'm really great. Or anything. It's just no labeling. So, that, you know, so we carry that through. And what's going to happen is that, that upright axis is not just some kind of esoteric meditation experience. It's a very pragmatic guide for how we're living. You know, on all levels, and you begin to undercut the power of these corrupting influences you know, that are rampant in the world 
that we witness through our eyes and read in the news and see on the television all that there are these corrupting influences often masked and veiled and disguised and prettied up but they're all about you know how you look you know, female body is supposed to look really really attractive what the hell for <laughs> what are you going to attract stupidity you know it's just like what's it you know and yet that that's the message isn't it you know you ever see uh, you know, all the messages um, like you know this really is is really this really disappointing you know and abusive deeply abusive you know, the whole you know half the species not valued on the integrity or dignity or self-respect just valued on the shape of their body how deep is that and what does that do yeah. Ah, yeah you can make it look like fun but it's not it's you know the amount of sexual abuse and uh, you know and despair over the shape of one's form and money of course behind it all anyway yeah you know. so that's that's rampant you're getting it dripped in dripped in dripped in role models getting this message dripped in day in day out so you really got to take a stand and live it and then your mind isn't thinking, worrying, relating to those crazy fantasies. This is right view. First. Path. Beginning and the end of the path. Right view. Whether we're going to feel peaceful or not, that comes later. But we established right view. And then is you're bringing awareness into that that's giving steady presence and attention to that so the energies of that they're going to amplify if you keep giving attention to the actions then you'll learn things don't do this do that but even more powerfully if you give the quality of the depth of the mind which is awareness to the quality of the depth of that view which is a certain bright, vibrant, open stability you get a very powerful effect steady cultivation of deep stability and a clean and fruitful deepening into something pretty immaculate and liberating So we learn the laws of the depth. Depth is important. Because this is where we should take our lead from. It may sound like it's subterranean, but depth is just a just a term. You know, it's actually bigger than the surface. Because when you go there, you can experience you know a vast array of yesterdays. And different realms, hellish realms, beautiful realms, bright realms, longing, you know, passion, 
space, spaciousness, radiance, joy. It's a vast realm. This is the realm of chitta, awareness, heart. Now, in terms of, I've mentioned light briefly, we know, as we said, very obviously in the bodily sense, we have this surface body, that which is impacted by sense contact. Right? We all know that one. And, but when we sit and close our eyes and just stop and don't go out to the senses and just rest and relax some of the muscles and the energies in the body, oh, this, this body is now this feeling experience, feeling sentient, sensitive experience. I can't, I don't quite, I don't quite get the anatomical description in there. I get pressures and warmths and sense of space occupying some space and some ground and, and it's quite mobile even when you're sitting still it's things are happening in there we say yeah this is what we call the felt body we would say is the inner or the depth body if you like it's the you know mind the same thing you've got the manas mind which is essentially the mind of um, deals with thought and scurrying around uh, noticing, thinking, remembering, calculating it's an object organiser it's a secretary it keeps uh, like a, a, a calendar noting notes and making notes <laughs> so it's surface because what he's doing is translating things into concepts. Yeah. Well, that's Susan. Well, that's yesterday. Well, that's February. Well, that's Libya. Well, that's that, 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 that. You know, translating, bringing up these concepts. And those concepts then it throws in to the, another aspect of mind called citta, which means we feel it. We feel what the word Susan does to me, or the, what the term Libya does to me, or what tomorrow dinner does to me. We feel this, ooh, ooh, ooh. So we have the inner aspect to it. Two are connected, and yet this inner quality is not just uh, being pinged on by the by the manas faculty, this jitta. It's also picking up qualities from the inner body. Like, don't feel very comfortable here. Feel rather shaky. I feel very stable and grounded. Ah, feeling tense. Ooh. And these play together. If I'm feel, if my inner mind, my heart is feeling anxious, my body starts to tense up. Yeah. If my if my inner mind, my chitta is feeling depressed, my body starts to slump. Yeah. If it's feeling happy, my body starts to open. Yeah. I'm sitting there and I can think, oh, I feel like I've got a weight on my back. Nothing on your back. Nothing on your back feels like I've got a weight on my back. What's that mean? It means obligation. I don't want to. Burdened. Okay. Now that's a message from the jitta, and it does affect your felt body, feels oppressed or stuck. It even affects your physical body. See people begin to slump under the pressure of their of their, of their, their body energies are doing. So it does trickle out into the physical world. 
And similarly, the beauty of the chitta, when it touches into its health and love and radiance, that trickles out into the physical realm. Buddha said, you know, if you practice metta uh, constantly, then, you know, your, your complexion is radiant. I don't think he was into beautification. It's just, uh, it means you're in good, good health. You know, the, the channels are open if you're bright because of the quality of loving kindness. So these two are, it's all interrelated. That's the wholeness. It's all interrelated. And yet we're taking our message, primary message, from the depth. When the depth is organized around right view, uprightness. And uh, this is where uh, you recognize love then is much more than a sentiment, so it's a certain radiant energy that begins to embrace and warm our bodies, our hearts, and other people. It just happens. It's the nature of chitta, is to be loving. And it's not compressed, confused, restricted. Just that's what it does. Now, <laughs> you know, when we the um, unfortunately this is not necessarily the case, is it? Yeah. So we have to re refer to what's it like the constricted, confused state. As we all experience this to some degree or another, we should know it for what it is, not some kind of personal something wrong with you, but a piece of territory or a piece of a, do a domain that arises through the power of, of ignorance. And uh, we're subject to that. So the first uh, aspect of this ignorance or not being in touch with the wholeness, the balance, the purity, the immaculate openness, the unconditioned. Not being in touch with that, it's called avijja, not being in touch with, not noticing, forgetting, not being having a, <laughs> a direct realisation of it. What happens if energies are not collected and they spill out? They start, and they spill out, and this spilling out of awareness is called consciousness, at least in early Buddhism. You know, consciousness can be used in a number of ways, of course. What it does, it means is that experience is now split into six different levels, different kinds of experiences, visual experience, auditory, tactile, gustatory, olfactory, and mental. So we live in a fragmented world of sights and sounds and touches, and the mind tries to stitch them together in completely separate experiences. Seeing something is nothing like smelling it, completely different set of values occurs, different impact on the chitta. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you look at a lovely bright orange, it's very beautiful, sink your teeth into it, you get the bitter tang of the pith. So, you know, it's completely different from the visual. The, the impact it has in your chitta is different. You know, sight, sound. You can get very conflicting messages. 
about what things are. Attractive things look attractive to the eye can be quite poisonous to the body. Nice bottle of Johnny Walker looks very nice. It's in a nice smoky glass and so forth. Handled by some fellow in a lounge suit with attractive bit of stubble on his chin. Um, suitable lighting. Johnny Walker looks good to me. I feel like I have, like I have a shot. It's actually a kind of poison <laughs> that you can spend fifty dollars to bottle <laughs> to consume. <laughs> no positive effects on anything other than the shareholders of Johnny Walker. <laughs> but looks good, probably smells quite good too. Very conflicting messages. The upright mind just says, don't want this message to the sense realm. I want to know the meaning, the purpose. Stay with that. Distraction, don't want it. But so this is uh, sense consciousness where the our, our intelligence gets, gets broken up into different modes of intelligence, visual intelligence, so forth, auditory intelligence. And then conceptual intelligence tries to say, oh, that means that, that's good, sticks it together. And of course, we are very easily duped. Yeah, we get that. Uh, we're easily duped propaganda. Advertising gives us mental signs of comfort, attractive, glamorous, relaxed, happy, buoyant, jubilant, interesting, vigorous, vibrant, and so forth. Yeah. Gives us those meanings and sticks them on bottles of whiskey, fast cars, um, clothing, and so forth. Yeah. So we buy it. We're looking for the meaning and we get duped by the thinking mind says, oh, that means that. Right? So this is consciousness shatters everything into these. It also divides the experience into there's the object of consciousness, sight, and there's a subject. The subject is called me. Though we've never been able to find out what this me is, every time there's an action of sense consciousness, me, the sense of me being the seer, the hearer, the toucher, I am the one who is touched and see, sees things. Who is this me? We don't know. But it keeps happening. It keeps happening so often, and it seems to be a depth experience, so it must be real. Till you try and find out what it is, and you find, oh no, it must be. So we look for something in the mind that says, I'm a me, and you can't quite find it. So it also divides our experience into these two aspects. And uh, the Buddha eventually laid out the whole thing. You've got consciousness and you've got form, that is some kind of sense object. They act together. You see a thing. Consciousness apprehends a form, a visual form. Okay, click, that happens. Yeah. And then what happens? Feeling occurs. Impact occurs. Perception, meaning occurs. Oh, that's one of those. Feeling occurs. Oh, pleasant, agreeable. Right? Then what happens? Acts, things start moving. Right? Activation occurs. This is called the five khanda. Consciousness, vijnana, body, form, rupa. Perception, meaning. What's what the, the bit that gets you? The bit where things enter you and say, oh, that's one of those. Yeah. You get it. That's called perception or meaning or interpretation. 
and then feeling pleasant, agreeable, more, not agreeable, less, and then activation. I want, I don't want, get this, get that, don't do this, don't do that. What's about that? So all kinds of activations. Okay, so this things start going. You know, activation sankara forms the mind. The mind gets shaped by it. it's called a mental formation. It shapes the mind into a into particular narrowness or breadth, driven mind, sluggish mind, oppressed mind, uh, groundless mind, spinning out, spinning mind, gives it a particular form, shape, subtle shape to it. Scrambled mind, scattered mind, broken up into bits and pieces, that's the form, that's the sankara. The activations are just whirled it around till it's like um, cotton candy. So the innate solidity and composure and stability and togetherness of the uprightness has just been spun out or thrust off into something or the other or sunk down into something. Yeah. So, you know, this is called the five kanda, five aggregates, the things that they aggregately stick things together. But they stick things together, first of all, because things are broken up. The wholeness is broken up into a sight, a sound. Broken up into me and it. Broken up into pleasure, pain. Broken up into forward and backward. Broken up into want and don't want. Broken up into understand and don't understand. Everything's broken up. Yeah. And the energies are then unsettled moving, trying to move toward the pleasant and the agreeable and the mind and avoid the disagreeable, the unpleasant. So it's continually zipping around. And in that activated state then, of course, the process goes on. We're aware of our activations. There's awareness of activations. There's a feeling of, oh, I don't like this state. I must be a mess. Something wrong with me. I'm so stirred up and activated. So what happens? More activations. I've got to tr stop trying to be... Stop being a mess, get myself together, pull myself together, do something, sort myself out. More activation. I can't, I can't quite get it. How do I get some peace of mind in here? More activation. Maybe I should try this down there. More activation. How do I get some peace of mind and quiet and stability? I must attain the wholeness, get into jhana, become enlightened so that I can be a tough way. can just look, just stop doing all that. <laughs> Get into your body, find out where your feet are, <laughs> let go of all that stuff, you know. Uh, and that's tough, that's firm, but it's loving. It's saying you can harm yourself doing that, you know. So the, the restraint is considered one of the guiding principles of. True care, self-care, is collect yourself because you can do yourself so much harm. You know, it may not be cuddly love, but it's 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 pragmatic for your welfare. The gift of restraint, it can be done. The gift of morality, it can be done. The gift of mindfulness, it can be done. It's there for you. Yeah. Yeah. This is the five khanda. The Buddha said, this already is 
suffering and stress, this reality is laden, suffused with suffering and stress. But <laughs> there is a way <laughs> there is a way out of that. The way out is to go not to any fragment but to the wholeness. What brings around a sense of holding it all. So in a sense is the fundamental gift. Now the fundamental gift we have most basic function of jitta is it's aware. We can be aware of the agitation and we just embrace it. That's wholeness for you. We can be aware of the fear and embrace it. We don't know how to embrace it, but the wholeness knows how to embrace it. If you come to the upright axis in your body and mind, there's no escape, there's no um, blame, there's no guilt, there's no quibbling, there's no fighting, there's no dumping, just the straight now, here and now. Centering that, what's going to happen is jitta begins to find itself steady and it begins to open. That's what it does. It opens across its field. Okay, the field, I mean this, this domain of Sankaras and aggregates and stuff that's there opens across it, just spans it. Staying, the more you're able to stay upright within that and breathing, sending energy through that, letting energy flow into that channel. It's going to wind up. And you, you, you can, could you notice that effect? Now you're no longer desperately panicking. You can feel the panicking, but somehow there's something aware of it. You can do it. It's not comfortable, but you can do it. What makes it more comfortable? Just extend a certain sense of love within that. I mean care. I mean gentleness. I mean soothing. I mean grandmother. I mean, what works for you to bring you that idea? Yeah. Embracing. Yeah. Because this is the energy of the opening jitta. And we need to follow that energy. It's not energy of discrimination. It's not an energy of blaming. Blaming yourself, blaming others. Uh, doesn't do that. Useless, pointless. We'll do it, but how much good does that do? You know, he hurt me, he did me wrong, he lied to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what benefit do you derive? Can you feel in yourself directly here and now? from going into blaming. Not denying other people's stuff, but just now, does blaming benefit you? What about loving? 
I'm not saying you have to love the person, but begin to spread that domain of healing love over the abused, distorted, saddened, depleted state. It's called compassion. You can call it forgiveness, or you can call it compassion. Just terms. The metta is the willingness. It's the beginning of that movement. The beginning of that movement of the citta. Is I'm willing. I'm willing to be. I want to bring some energy out. I'm no longer doing the other things that one does with energy in the confused state. Fight. Flight. Freeze. Faint. Or just basically fudge the issue altogether. That's 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 stupid energy. Understandable, absolutely understandable, but stupid. Not 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 wise energy, ignorant energy. Uh, damage, so first quality of, of wise energy, energy based on right view, is one has the metta, we call it metta, it's the willingness to be present. I really want to, you know, and a recognition of the potency of that upright quality. It's got some good juice in this. Maybe it could extend. Extending, that's metta. Karuna, it meets the distressed. Mudita, it begins to experience the relief from distress. And acknowledge that it's beyond distress. There's also the benevolent. And there's the healed. And the unafflicted, it widens. Why is it wider? Because it's often the case that the most dominant features that come to us are the sad features. I've never met anybody feeling obsessed with goodwill. I've got a real problem. I'm continually feeling happy all the time. How can I deal with it? I'm feeling so uplifted and bright. It's really becoming a problem for me. No, it's always I feel miserable, despondent, hurt, betrayed, abused, rejected, failure, incomplete, anxious, nervous, wreck. What can I do about it? So it's the unsatisfactory aspects that really jump up. They're right there. They're the kind of the, the kind of the you might say in the <laughs> they're the first piece of business the jitta has to has to get across. You know, as it wide as it comes into oh yeah. Now some of that intensity of that has died down. I do recognise oh yeah, there's a beyond this, and there are beautiful people, and there are those I feel grateful for. But the thing that presses you and pushes you is the suffering, isn't it? It's the thorn in your thumb that hurts, not the the other nine digits that don't hurt. It's the one against you. So Mudita's a little bit wider. Upeka equanimity, wider still. Just it comes, it goes. There's bad stuff, there's good stuff. Stay upright. Just stay upright. Things will work themselves out. Things will work, it will work itself out. Trust the upright. Trust the opening. There's going to be some crazy stuff. Yeah, because as you begin to open, then all kinds of unresolved matter material comes up in the depths. Comes up the unresolved, the orphans of consciousness, the bits, the orphans of the personality. The personality hasn't been able to, to accommodate them 
to run away from them, which closed them down because it couldn't manage them. This is the abuse experience. Two kinds of abuse. One is the abuse that's direct abuse. That is, you actually are, you know, wounded, hurt, afflicted, accused, insulted, rejected directly. Uh, and there's the other kind of abuse, which is you just don't get enough of the good stuff. There's a withdrawal of what should have been there. There should have been a little bit of empathy, a little bit of warmth, you know, and that you didn't, that wasn't there. And this is sometimes, this is, uh, the Buddha talks about these qualities very lightly, and the terms he uses, <laughs> when you translate to, to the English, it looks rather complicated, he says, there is a demeritorious mental formation. <laughs> How about that? Right. either through your own actions or through the actions of others one acquires a demeritorious mental formation either through your own actions you were abusive therefore you're going to get results of that or through the actions of others people did abuse you therefore you know you pick up that you get shaped by the abusiveness of other people okay you become nervous, you become resentful, you become anxious, and maybe when that starts, your jitter gets compressed, you get a bit violent, snappy, unpleasant, you're shaped by abusive qualities. Okay. So this can be systemic, you know, so we see things like racism, where people feel extremely uh, abused, not sometimes chronically or sometimes just uh, acutely. Or just the constant sense of you're not adequate, there's something wrong with you, just because you've got a different physiognomy. So living with that day in, day out, you know, what's that going to do? That's what we call, the Buddha called a demeritorious <laughs> mental formation occurs. <laughs> one feels nervous, one doesn't feel safe, one feels anxious. Well, 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 what's it, you know? And of course, women. How many women are sexually abused? Just because they've got a different set of genes, okay? That means you're up for abuse, girls. You know, that's what you're here for. <laughs> yeah. So common, isn't it? So, you know, if you're a female, then, you know, maybe you do feel a bit insecure and uncertain. And, you know, it's not your fault. Through the actions, the observations, the psychologies, the pressures of others, you acquire demeritorious mental formation, is the rather plain term, the way it comes out in the English translation. What it means is your heart is shaped. Your heart is pressed, your heart is squeezed, your heart is, is distorted, is under pressure through no fault of your own. And this is the saddest bit of it, because if I have done something stupid, I can think, oh, yeah, you idiot, that was stupid. I see the results of it. Stop doing it. Okay, got it. But you can't stop having a female body if you've got one. <laughs> you know? So you can be living in that. And hopefully this isn't, you know, I mean, what do I know? I 
got one of these male things. White male, you know, I'm privileged. Just that fact alone. So what happens? What happens through, you know, okay, your parents weren't really that good at it. They liked having kids, or they liked the intercourse, but they didn't really have the, the kit for decent parenting. So what happened? Did you get enough of that? What should have been there? Safety, security, love, stability. Who's to say? But it's this, you can't change it. Because you didn't do it. And yet, so often what happens is the person feels, oh, that's me, I better do something. So they're trying to make themselves good enough, accepted. Uh, the only response that the person can make is do something, even though they can't. They try and do something to make themselves acceptable to others, agreeable to others. So others will give them some, some warmth and respect or whatever. And it doesn't work because even if others do, they haven't deactivated that which is imprinted on their hearts. Nobody else can get in there and do it for you. It sounds rough to say you've got to do it yourself, but it's not exactly like that. Your person can't do it, but the wholeness can. The love can. The uprightness can. Constantly referring to that. Taking you back, your heart, from the abusive realm. Take it back. Enrich it. So it's obviously it's skillful deeds we do, and yet I've certainly been very conscious of people doing all kinds of very skillful, beautiful things. I think, wow, he's great, she's great, oh my goodness, oh, fantastic person. They still feel they're not good enough. They still find fault. Doing all kinds of stuff that I can't do. Still find fault. Still think they're not good enough. Still trying to make it better. But how, you know, this is is good because actions that go externally don't change it <laughs> now it's not to say that actions aren't any good but you've got a what's called punya right it means you've got to actually distill the qualities of those actions where they came from and take them back this was my goodness this was my generosity this was my clarity this was my applied effort that came from here, and dwell in it. It's called accumulating, gathering the merit, you know, and it's got a potent energy to it. Yeah. You know, it's a, 
sometimes this seems kind of obscure, but how do I do that? Well, it's the wholeness that does the work. <laughs> and it's the return to wholeness that does it. Start with the upright axis, you don't feel that great. Okay, so what, where's it go from there? We'll start as you're sitting there. The Buddha also says you have such a thing as a meritorious bodily formation. And a demeritorious bodily formation term is Kaya Sankara. Mental formation is Jitta Sankara. And another sutta, so these are seen at, uh, I was looking at earlier today, Sangyutta Nikaya 1225 and Guta Nikaya 323, if you want to check these out. <laughs> and it may seem mysterious what you're talking about. If you look also, you refer to Majima Nikaya 44, you'll see there the nun Dhammadina says, ah, breathing in and out. Is a, is a bodily formation. In and out breathing is a bodily formation. Perception and feeling is a mental formation. Right. So we can recognize when I get upset and angry, yeah, all that stuff will let juice run through my system. My body gets hard, it gets hot, it gets tight. Right? That's a bodily formation. <laughs> you know? when, my, uh, when I feel comfortable and expansive and unstressed and, and, and open, my body feels rather different. That's a skillful bodily formation. Right? So we can say it's to do with the somatic energies running around. And some of them are skillful and some of them are unskillful. Now the nun, Dhammadina, is saying right in the centre of that, the organising principle within that is called breathing in and out. So that in and out breathing is the basic juice, or the energy of breathing in and out, the energy that does breathing in and out. Right? You feel this flow of sensations. What's keeping it going? There's an energy that's pushing it in and flowing it out, and you get energy suffusing your body. That's energy is the kaya sankara. When you're breathing in and out, and there's no restriction, the energy spreads across the field in a very harmonious way. It's called samadhi. Now, when it's afflicted, it just jumps and spurts and straggles and jerks and flounders. That's called an unskillful bodily formation. <laughs> yeah. And so your breath energy, your body energies are scattered. Now, if we bring them back into wholeness, and collectedness and stability is that they spread across the entire bodily field. And now what happens to the, the chitta sankara, you know, the mental energy or the mental stuff, you have a perception of space, you have a perception of radiance, you have a perception of comfort, you have pleasant feeling. That is called a skillful mental form. When it's an unskillful mental form, it's twisted, distorted, fractured, broken, imbalanced, agitated, stirred. And so the organizing principle behind this is breathing in and out and sustaining skillful mental or perceptions, meanings. What are these skillful meanings? Well, what are the unskillful meanings? I look around, I see threat. That's an unskillful one. I look around and I see things to crave. That's an unskillful meaning. 
You know, we look around and say, well, I'm one of those. That's an unskillful one. What does it do to you? What does it do to your mind? You look around and you feel terribly worried. That's an unskillful. What does that do to your mind? Does it make you more stable? No. Yeah. Right? So if we look around the sense world, there's plenty of, of meanings that we can see that are have unskillful effects. Occasionally you see something that doesn't, that's quite skillful, unfortunate effect. Of course, a friend, yeah. uh, a Buddha, the sound of chanting, the silence. Meanings that give rise to a sense of safe, spacious, welcome, gentle. Hmm? They give rise to skillful meanings. Those skillful meanings, if dwelt upon, if lingered upon, build up a skillful mental form. And those, the more you linger in those, there's a possibility to regain the heart. The heart begins to shape itself in line with the particular signs and meanings that we bring into awareness. Just as it's been made confused by the signs and meanings that are hurtful, that we remember, that we feel traumatized by. Just as, you know, afflictions, pains, abuse that was wreaked upon you 10 years ago still sits in your heart and still retains its impression, its meaning, so that you still have that running for you, even though the event has passed. See, it's still, that's still embedded there. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to basically begin to establish skillful meanings. So we've got somewhere safe, comfortable to stand where we do feel. This is what it's like to be sane and, and whole and healed. Like this. I mean, I can't be there all the time, but it's great to know there's that possibility. I can be this. And then that might, this personality begins to change. I'm no longer so nervous or whatever, or agitated or distracting myself because I feel comfortable. This is called samadhi, sitting there. Now, you know, the transformation process, which is, okay, we use the word love again. You find your healthy place your place of stability, your upright axis, your place of warmth and okayness and steadiness. You centre in that. You bring your body energy into that. You breathe into that. It extends across your bodily field. It begins to unfold these nervous tensions in your body. Then as it does so, it begins to move into these painful areas and begin to melt them. It's not a lightning fast process, but naturally, as I've said, pain is the one that comes to you, isn't it? It's the one that most immediately presents itself, is the painful, the unresolved. In meditation, we're desperately trying to shut that out. Right? I'll put that aside, <laughs> which is perhaps okay for step one, till you get your healthy stuff going. And then you say, okay, let's just open up and there's the pain, there's the hurt, there's the shame, there's the disgrace, there's the not good enough. 
And instead of just thinking about it or spinning out on it, what's the energy like? Tight, tangled. And you stay in your steady space. And it's not exactly like moving into it. It's just the ceasing to resist the pain. The uncomfortable. Now, this is the law of, of the depth. Deep area. Now, in daily life, we can walk from A to B. There's such a thing as distance. In the depth, there's no distance. You don't go from place to place. You stay where you are and stuff happens. So the idea of you can move through things isn't quite true. You don't move through things. If you stay still, you move through things. <laughs> Does that make doesn't make sense, does it? If you stay still and upright, your, that upright energy by itself begins to move through things without pushing. It begins to suffuse rather like steam without pushing. And all we need to do is stop resisting the uncomfortable. Bear it in mind. Bear the uncomfortable and the comfortable in mind. It's the wholeness that does the work. Bear, base yourself on the uncomfortable, on the comfortable, gather that resource, and as the uncomfortable arises, meet it with compassion, with goodwill, non-resistance. Stay in your centre. Don't deal with it, don't understand it, don't change it, don't describe it, just stay present with that. And the quality of the whole of the upright will begin to make itself felt. It's the wholeness that does the work. It begins to take us out of out of suffering and stress at the depth. Hopefully, I would like it that you don't have any great serious problems. It's not, it doesn't have to be intense, but it could be those nagging worries, those feelings of not having done well enough, concern about so and so, so and so. All quite understandable, but are they doing you any good? Are they by themselves of benefit? Worrying about somebody, does that make them any better? Hmm? Worrying is frustrated love. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a frustrated kind of love. Yeah, if we let go of the, fr the frustrated aspect, then the love can expand. That's the law. That's the teaching. That's what the Buddha did. Thank you for listening.